weekly weights with Bert and Hayes. We lift the weights and go on dates. And we are mates that educate and conversate. And it's our podcast. Weekly weights with Alex and Will. Welcome to episode 45 of Weekly Weights. We're joined today by a with five. Fuck, I did this last time. We're joined by, we're, we're joined, joined with, with in holy lift from over opening. the internet by Will Crozier from the Gold Coast. <laughs> so Will is a... I'm in your presence. <laughs> Will is a coach from the Gold Coast. He uh, runs a business called Nexus with a couple other colleagues, uh, which is online, mostly for powerlifters. He competes in uh, GPC in Australia and is competing in Pro Raw uh, on the 16th of March. So anyone who wants to watch that, definitely watch that because it will be very exciting. Um, will, did you want to tell everyone what your best lips are in competition? Give some iron cred. Sure, sure, sure. So uh, my best squat is 355 uh, in knee wraps for everybody. And I have to differentiate with you guys. Uh, that's not raw, right? <laughs> um, a 210 bench and a 375 deadlift. All in pounds? <laughs> <laughs> they are... <laughs> the, that and uh, they are in kilograms, uh, and uh, yeah, like you said, I've got pro raw in. I think it's eighteen days today, uh, and things are looking good for getting a little bit more on top of that, getting the all-time Aussie record back uh, underneath me. So yeah, well, what's good. the all-time record at the moment? Nine forty. That right? Nine forty. Yeah, yeah, that's it. So I had it before right? nine. Yeah, I had it before nine thirty. I've done nine thirty-five as a uh, quote unquote 125 lifter when I was 114, but whatever. And then, uh, yeah, and then Sebastian uh, broke that mid last year sometime uh, down in Tassie at the WRPF meet. Cool. So looking to take that back from him. So put Will's, him back in his place. <laughs> Will's also due to be giving about a six-hour seminar on recovery, but we've tried to get him um, tried to get him on the podcast for a little inside scoop prior to that. Well, where can people um, find you for these seminars that you're running and who else is involved? Yeah, so the seminars, like lots of details on nexusperformance.com.au, for one word. Uh, you'll find the seminars on there. We have lots of little write-ups. Uh, so I'll be doing it with Dean McKillop, who's been my nutrition coach for a few years now. Uh, first worked with me into Pro Raw 9 and ever since. Uh, he runs Flex Success, which is a really successful uh, nutrition business uh, with seven other coaches. And um, yeah, so he is the man when it comes to nutrition and all that stuff. So obviously talking recovery, that's a big part of it. And then I'm going to be good diving into uh, how we can program for fatigue management and um, stress management, a bunch of other things, recovery. Cool. So where, where are these seminars going to be and roughly what dates? Yeah. So... The seminars, we have got the uh, two weekends after Pro Raw in Wellington. Man, I should have really got these dates in. <laughs> uh, they're, all on the, they're all on the website. Yeah. Uh, in Melbourne after that and in Sydney after that. So uh, in Melbourne, we're doing it at Melbourne Strength Culture uh, with Jamie. And after that, we've got a Creature Gym in Sydney. Cool. Wicked. All right. Where's that? Hmm? Where's that? Yeah, where? CrossFit Creature. Right? Is it CrossFit? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, the one. I didn't want to say that. Yeah, just, that's the C word. <laughs> is it CrossFit creature? <laughs> are, they, are they in Manly or are they... 
or I think they're on the they have a good they have a good little setup yeah is yeah, that Luke's a little bit out though is Luke Star one of the I'm coaches sure. there or? Right, I think, we're rambling too much yeah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> we've, been, right. we've been talking for like 20 minutes before we started recording so. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, podcast will go off the rails quickly but ostensibly the topic is recovery so question one yeah. um, Will is why, why is recovery from training important so recovery from training uh, you know like training everybody knows uh, the training itself just breaking down isn't the way to get strong, the way to get big, recovering from that is where your body's going to grow, your body's going to get stronger. And basically, the simplest way to say it is that if you can recover from more work, whether that's all the stuff, nutrition, sleep, stress reduction, everything that we're going to talk about today and uh, at the seminar, if you can handle all that stuff, the more you can recover from, the more you can train, the more gains you're going to get. So put simply, that's the outcome that everybody wants. It's still powerlifting and everybody's... Uh, that's listening to this once. So pretty obvious why you should be chasing it. Yeah, I think um, something... Oh, you go on, sorry. Unfortunately, it's in, in powerlifting anyway. I'm sure I'm sure you guys can back me up on this and that is that powerlifters don't see it as a, as a big priority. It's, you know, like we're all about the hardcore training and, and hitting, you know, big RMs and stuff in the gym. But then when it comes to recovery, nutrition, sleep, all that stuff like that, it's kind of written off as like, eh, you know, like that's just kind of, uh, you know, way below training in, in terms of priorities. So really hoping to put light on uh, why it is so important and uh, the stuff that really makes the great lifters great as opposed to just everyone else. So something that Alex and I sort of have often spoken about is that you need to actually be fresh enough coming in to make your hard work productive and actually maximize the productive mm -hmm. work that you do. And so if you spend all of your time in a big fatigue debt in training, you often actually can't, you can't perform at the ability that actually gets you stronger either when it really matters, if you're always just buried. Um, and so balancing that stimulus and recovery time is really important if you actually want your training to do you much good. Yeah, yeah. So there's so many implications they're coming into. I mean, people could use the word fatigue, stress, almost, mm. almost the same thing in this instance. But I mean, there are slightly different different definitions, but we use it pretty much the same. But everybody knows, like, it, uh, like if we went through a comp prep or whatever, uh, that if you're feeling fatigued, like how much it impacts your training. Like everybody that's done like a proper peak knows that. So like just learning to avoid it, it impacts your your technique and obviously how you're feeling in your off days, how much you're going to come in to bring into your next session, mindset. There's just so much. There's so many things that affects and that's why I don't understand why it's such a kind of second priority put aside for people. It's, it really should be kind of the big thing that um, people that are training hard and are at that level need to be focusing on. Yeah. So the second question we had was, well, this kind of starts with a statement. People say that recovery precedes adaptation. What are the implications of this? <laughs> oh, sorry. I thought you were going to go on with the rest of it. There. Um, we'll start there. Yeah, I'll start there. What's that? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, the. I mean, it's kind of what I just said. Is that it to to adapt to training? If you're already kind of at your stress limit, your fatigue limit, you're already pushing that bucket. It's just like where. Like you, this is just going to get pushed aside. It's just adding to that stress. You're never going to get, your body's never going to get to it and adapt to it. You're never going to be able to move forward in training. It's, it's, I know I'm just saying the same thing again, but it's, it's almost like a yes or no question. It's like they, 
of course, like a, if I went into every session feeling like crap, am I ever going to be able to perform my best? No. I mean, it's just, it's almost like a common sense thing. We yeah. could go deep, deep into why, but straight out, like that's what people want as, as lifters. Is, yeah. Mm. Yeah. So you've got to be able to actually re- recover from the training so that you can do more training essentially. Yeah. 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 You need to recover from what you're doing. And if we look into periodization, like it's not only like what we're doing now, uh, and for the rest of the session recovery, but then what we're doing now and how that affects the rest of the week and then how this week affects the following week. And, yeah. uh, I mean, that's the whole idea behind peaking. Yeah. 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 I get an analogy that I just thought of. This could be a bad one. <laughs> Alex is already smoking. <laughs> we're three minutes in. I've got a shit analogy. Um, no, it'd be, you could think of like adding levels to a building, right? Where to every time you, you know, the training stimulus breaks you down a little bit. So every time you go to add a level, you have to lose one and then add two on top, but you obviously can't build the second higher level unless you've rebuilt the first one that you just knocked down first. And recovery from training is a little bit like that too. If you cause damage to tissues or disruption to systems before you can actually fortify those systems or add something on top, you need to restore them to the degree of function that they had prior. Um, press the power button, Alex. Yeah. Yeah, and this is, there's so many ways to do, like we're talking life stress, work relationships, money stresses that have been thrown in that. And it's not just training. I mean, obviously training is the one that we want to be uh, the big variable that we can control. But your nutrition, your sleep, all this stuff that we're going to be talking about is what is what drives how much of that you can handle and all the other stress in your life is also going to be added in that. So we need to look at kind of uh making that work for us, reducing those other variables down so that we can push training and, and handle training in a way that allows us to actually do what you just said at those levels. Um, uh, the typical one that people look at is the, the sink analogy, which we talked about. Like the, Everybody will know it. Everybody that's, I'm sure, has seen it at some point if you're interested in training at all, whereas you have the sink as your uh, the stresses coming in and then the drain pipes, the the recovery and uh, if you have too much coming in, it's going to overflow and you're going to end up uh, over overreached or overtrained or however you want to define it. And your body's going to find a way to, um, to make you recover, uh, to make you deload or whatever you want to call it. Like it's just uh, whether that's injury or just like you feel like crap that you can't train optimally. Um, lots of different outcomes. Hopefully the not the injury one. Yeah, that's uh, and o- then obviously that's when people get sick too. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. If you look at a peak, a comp peak, like how many times you've seen, uh, you know, four, five, six weeks out, somebody's coming into a comp and then they just start getting the flu and they're like, Oh, such bad luck. And it's like, Oh, you do that every single time. Um, and it's often the people, yeah, like who, I said, it's like trying to diet through their peak yeah, at the well. same time. Yeah. You're reducing that recovery, uh, the ability to take that stress out of your body. So like all this stuff comes in and you have to consider it all so many different ways like that's why this seminar is six hours it's just so deep you can go into it and if you want to be the best i really feel you need to um give it all of your attention as well as training hard yeah um so so contrary to the analogy i just gave there is a the probably model that we accept for training is um is a fitness fatigue model where when you give somebody a training stimulus they do actually accrue fitness benefit but they also accrue, they accrue, sorry, fatigue, which inhibits performance. And so when we envisage peaking, we think of trying to maintain, maintain the fitness and reduce fatigue 
as much as possible. And the, like the difference between the two describes what we call preparedness, which is your ability to perform at the top. Um, yeah, you when, when we think about recovery, how does that relate to <clears throat> the fitness fatigue model and just general training that we do? Like how much recovery is necessary session to session and week to week for someone to be productive? This is a really, this is a really hard one in terms of like giving like a specific, because everybody's going to be a little bit different, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. As in like what you just said is in the ability to perform at your best week to week, day to day, whatever is, is really what we need to focus on and saying like, uh, you know, like uh, how much recovery do you need and how much input do you need? It's, it's a tough question, but that's, I don't know, with our model, we try to be flexible with our, our, our programming and allow for that, like a proper periodized programming where we're measuring these variables coming in, volume, intensity, recovery coming out, how people are feeling day to day, uh, having some measure of that and being really flexible with it. And when we're flexible, when we take deloads is, is how we go about it. It's just... I know I've kind of like sidestepped your question with that as, and trying to like almost not give a direct answer, but like that's, I just feel like all the current models as to like, you know, we're going to deload this often or whatever. It's just like a, it's a question that can't really be a hundred percent answered. And I've never found a one thing that works for a wide population. Obviously um, you can put people in little groups, you know, like females, males, small people, big people, strong people, weak people, and uh, kind of, give estimates on that but for us um we just take each person measure inputs measure outputs and uh try and be really flexible with how we handle recovery so yeah it's almost point of view. it's almost like training um as well like you're going to have sort of a mold that you're going to that you're going to try and fit to each person but that mold is malleable in itself and it's going to change person to person and it just has to be like like it said we have all these inputs coming in um I feel like not enough people measure how they're feeling mood, like looking at skill is like not only like a, Oh, it just wasn't there today, but like from a fatigue point as well, like taking that as a measure and uh, being able to, um, like being able to like, as a coach, like preemptively give people the recovery when they need it and handle like how much volume you can handle, how much, intensity you can handle what do you respond best to like it you just need to be so flexible with it it's just yeah. we measure all that stuff and every I bet you everybody that we program it has different lengths mesocycles different volumes all of it yeah there's not really one system is there some sort of um strategy you have in place for determining like daily readiness at the start of training like do you have some sort of like questionnaire or anything it's more of a week-to-week -week thing for us so yeah we we look at just general obviously you can usually pick up just by talking to people how they're feeling like they'll yeah. tell you. Um, but we have, we do have a little questionnaire. So like um, how their mood is, how their energy is on given days, um, how, like how they just feel to go to the, like how they, how they are muscularly sore, um, how excited they are to train, things like that can tell you a lot about a person, which you know what you're looking for. You start to see, it's more the trends over time that you start to see. Like you'll see like on this week of their meso, their mesocycle, they, they, they uh, say they're feeling great. And then you know, maybe after, maybe later in it at week four or whatever, we start to see this or after their deadlift day, they tell me they feel like 
this and then you know like we just start to see trends uh, maybe it's like a, a certain days each week um yeah when we try to be as flexible as we can and just get as many kind of good days happening as possible yeah so you get to learn sort of the patterns that you see like some people might be more fatigued after squats some people might be more fatigued after deadlifts or whatever the case is you kind of like picture that puzzle together for each individual yeah i mean the general kind of um uh rule that you know you'll, you'll see people is that you know deadlifts fatigue you the most squats after that then bench you can kind of bench all the time and you'll be fine but i just don't find this a case like people's leverages change that a lot um uh like the one that comes to mind is purely just because he deadlifted earlier today he was aaron sim mm. like he, the guy's leverages are like he he's almost standing up and he's set up and it doesn't take him a lot of effort to hit high intensities with his uh efficiency yeah so like uh he's going to be way different to a person that has like kind of leverages that aren't quite built for deadlifting mm. in terms of recovery time so yeah it is it's, everything's individual like that and um we used to kind of structure things a lot more rigid because uh, it allows for easy from a business perspective anyway but we're just we're, we're just found we can't we can't give people the best results by doing that so we're yeah. super flexible with everything now um, if I can bring us back to training a little bit more. Specific. Yeah. Sorry. Um, Got way <laughs> not off. in trouble, mate. Um, no, if I can bring us back to training more specifically, you say you implement some flexible structures. Does that mean in your sessions, you use things like RPEs and RPE caps and rep ranges and things to accommodate differences in preparedness on the day? Uh, yeah. Different people, different things. A lot of people I don't trust to use RPE. They just, they just suck at it. Um, you know, you know, you know, you know yeah, people talking about you. Don't trust anyone. <laughs> I say this to Alex all the time. There's no such thing except RPE eight. Like it's either RPE eight or you fail. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, right. That's like so, slightly yeah. I mean, RPE eight top single. Yeah. <laughs> Made exactly. it out of ten. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It would have would have been eight for sure. But <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I can't trust everybody, but I do set RPE mostly for, especially for accessories. Um, uh, especially coming into a comp and then people that I do trust, uh, I'll give either RP and then kind of like what I estimate that will be. So for like, I might say, well, we want to hit an RP nine top single, but you know, it's probably going to be around this and then they'll just adjust. So that's how we're going to be flexible and intensity sets, uh, as in volume. Um, sometimes I'll give people flexibility on that. Uh, if I'm not sure how they're like, if I haven't been able to work out how their recovery is yet, so I might say like three to five sets of five on this. And then if it gets above, if it gets too hard, we're going to cut that back. Mm. Um, and I've actually been using that a little bit at the end of this prep myself. So uh, just to manage uh, fatigue myself. So like bench, I've been able to push out way more volume and then squatting always my downfall has been a little bit less volume uh, super flexible week to week yeah right um alex had much more to ask about that specifically mm -hmm. well um well let's jump into talking about what we're actually recovering from during resistance training so what are the stresses we're imposing and which tissues do we stress <laughs> so people uh, you can break this up a, a few different ways. Uh, the one that most people um, will go down is they'll talk about uh, peripheral fatigue as, or as in like muscle, uh, physical fatigue. This is the one that you feel, the DOMS, whatever. 
uh, the general soreness throughout the body that we said before when we're measuring how people feel sore. Uh, and then people talk about CNS or uh, central fatigue as in like how, uh, how it affects your yeah, neural system, other things. Um, so that one is a bit more hard to measure, obviously, as in like I can ask you if your legs are sore and you're like, yeah, cool, but that one um, a bit different. So these are, these are going to be different things, but I find that we just tend to focus more on how people feel and, and uh, the soreness thing, the peripheral fatigue and the CNS, we kind of just, we just let it slide. Obviously, that like you brought up before, we could use HIV and all this other stuff, but for most of our clients, it's just not, it's just not practical. We can't, we don't have the access to, to give people uh, ability to measure that stuff and it's just, it doesn't work for a large amount of people. So, but that's, that's what we're talking about um, when we're talking about recovery. Yeah, how how deep? Yeah. <laughs> um, that's a good start. So um, that's a good start. I just don't know where you want me to go. You can go as deep or as shallow as you want. Um, no, the next question that we had were: Are there tissue specific considerations for recovery and recovery timing? So, do muscles, tendons, ligaments, the nervous system, and technique, and so on, adapt and degrade at different rates? Yeah. So, ligaments, uh, tendons, going to break down a lot slower. As, I mean. Sorry, you're going to as you break them down, they're going to take a lot longer to get back to baseline. Uh, muscular damage, usually pretty easy, you know, typical a week or so, depending on the muscle group. Um, and that's the one that we can control more so. Uh, the, the, the others, the ligaments and tendons thing is going to be, first of all, like a, making sure you move well so you're not breaking them down excessively. And then B, it's going to be like a, a periodization thing. So in off-season, making sure you have time to, to let those recover. So like uh, if you look up, like I said, the SRE curve stuff that uh, Juggernaut has done, Marcus Vitor has done heavily on, they have specific timelines for lots of different things through that, the body. But, um, and you can look up adaptions for that, but the one we want to focus on is muscular. Uh, just... Yeah, tendon and stuff. I feel like it's just if you periodize well, you can kind of like just get around that. Mm -hmm. Unless you are having movement issues, like we said. Yeah. Um, in your experience, this isn't a question we prepared you for, sorry. But in your experience, how much variability is there between people in measures of things like muscle soreness after a given bout and how quickly they recover from it? Uh, I feel like the, it, it's more of like the question that we should be asking is, are they taking care of the outside factors, like the nutrition, the sleep? I find them, the people that are really getting like heavily beat up are just, um, are just not even taking that stuff seriously. Like they're just like, they're the ones that aren't doing, aren't eating or they're eating crap or they're not sleeping, stuff like that. They just get way more beat up. If you're, if you're training smart and you're taking care of that stuff, most people will, uh, will be fine. Obviously, bigger, stronger people are going to take a little bit longer. Smaller females are going to take a little bit shorter. Um, yeah, that's going to be that. All right. Um, you <laughs> love how you look at Alex and he said never says anything. Like Alex, you have any? No, okay. No, he's browsing <laughs> Instagram. Um, <laughs> no, you already actually alluded to this. You you spoke about periodization um, and how having some periods in the off season that allow your tendons a break is a smart idea. Um, do different intensities and different training styles and things actually impose 
different recovery demands. So, you know, what's different about lifting really heavy weights versus low weights and what's different between high volumes and low volumes and explosive movements and slow movements? <clears throat> um, this is this is a lot based on what level the person's at, um, but I I honestly don't find that the high intensities, if you handle the volume correctly, is as big of a deal as what it's made out to be. Personally, I, that's the, that's the trends I see. Um, like if I if I handle the volume and, and periodize that in a way that somebody can handle it and and recover from, and and each week kind of builds on each other, like we we're talking about before, that the intensities. Like hitting a top single, I don't think is near as uh, as uh, fatiguing as what other people might think. I agree. Yeah. yeah. Is that so? Right. Not- yeah. Especially if like we're programming the right numbers and the, the weights are moving efficiently and like relatively. That's where RPE well. really comes in handy. Yeah. 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 Sure. I think there's a well, difference like, as well. And between- again, oh, you go. Sorry, please. I was going to say again. Again, we could all make, we could go down the side street of. Um, of movement so if people are moving really well uh, it's going to be easy to recover from because they they're going to be more efficient they're going to not hit those other structures uh and it's just like you're just not you're not you're going to beat up the areas that you want to beat up you can predict it whereas you know like if you're using your low back to to live your entire life and you don't have any abs like it's just going to um it's going to wear down real quick yeah i think it's also like me going Oh, you yep, carry on again. It. Sorry. I think we've got just enough lag that you and I are going to talk over each other a lot. Please, you finish. <laughs> no, no, that was it. I was just going to say, like, if you're going down the street and you're getting a huge lower back pump and that you're, and your, your spine's loading up during that, like it's been hitting a deadly session after is going to be, it's going to suck. Like you're just yeah. going to, you're going to be building fatigue. Otherwise there's more stress being chucked on the system. Yeah. So the rule that Jamie and I had when we were having um, latency issues last time is we'd say over when we were finished talking. So we can do I, I heard that. <laughs> I also heard that it didn't, it didn't work 100% either. <laughs> no, it didn't work at all. Um, but tell we, us when you're over. Yeah, just give us the sign. <laughs> um, no, I was going to say there's a difference right. between hitting a top single and hitting a max single yeah. in training. And so... So I think, you know, if you like, if you lift a weight that realistically you could do for two or three and you do it with really good technique, like you said, that doesn't impose anything like the recovery demand of a true grinder one RM where you do have some technical breakdown and you do have those other structures actually taking the load. Nah, and, and, and again, like if you're handling the outside stuff, uh, like if your nutrition's consistent, if your sleep's consistent, if your stresses are consistent, all that other stuff, then it becomes way more predictable. And then as coaches, you can, it's just so easy. Whereas like if I set you a weight that was, you know, RP seven last week and then you do it again this week and it's RP nine, like it's just, it's so hard. Like that's, you may as well just chuck periodization out of the window then and just guess and then you just yeah. use a template because it's, that's where the, that's where the adaptive model really, uh, really fails. And if the person's just inconsistent and not, uh, collecting data, I guess, or, or we're not collecting data or anything like that. It's just, it's useless. I may as well just give you a template. Mm. Um, but yeah, RPE is the, is the, that's where I'll use it for. That's where the tool will come in. So let's look at the opposite end of the intensity spectrum then. So when people do do lighter weights and higher volumes, um, you know, we've said that heavier weights aren't necessarily more fatiguing. 
But why are those lighter weights then allowing for recovery of think like your other soft tissues? What's the benefit of those lighter loads? You're talking about as in like uh, when you talk other tissues, you mean tendons? Yeah. So you were saying like in your off season, having some lighter periods of training will help you recover things, you know, your ligaments and tendons, give them some time off. Why is that? Well, I mean, just go to a one RM squat and you'll feel why. Like it's just loading your entire body and through your spine, just compressing you uh, week to week is just, it's just brutal and, and the, you'll know by the end of a prep like your knees your your hips everything is just locked on uh, you probably do have if you don't have a little bit of like tendon issues and stuff by the end of prep but most people i'll be surprised like probably i don't know what, what are you guys but like i reckon nine out of ten people have at least a little bit of that those overuse stuff coming by the end of a prep just with the specificity yeah you almost um, look forward to those lighter lighter sessions and taking time away from the comp specifically oh god just feel better i know i do right now mentally and physically right now i mean i'm what oh, i'd say two two and a half, 18 days out and i'm just like Fuck. like just the general like we've had my actually recovery right now uh is great i feel really good if you said like how's your energy and everything like fantastic it's but i can feel like my knees and my hips and my like low back and all that stuff are just like slowly like <laughs> like sage me that is yelling at me so yeah that stuff that stuff is going to break down slowly um and you're going to build week to week fatigue and it's just going to build up and uh it does put a lot of stress on those and then so when you're doing off-season stuff that's less specific so maybe it's a hack squat i know you guys have been hitting like pendulum squats mm. um a bit things like that where you're not loading your spine and it's just like uh muscular stuff it's it's going to recover a lot quicker and you're not going to get as beat up that way. Yeah. Um, and then you're going to get other benefits as like muscular endurance, hypertrophy, uh, just movement variability. Um, so during a comp prep, you, you're going to be so specific that you're probably going to lose a little bit of uh, movement options through your body, your whole body, your hips, your shoulders. Like you talked with Jamie last week about reaching and, and, and stuff like that. Uh, upward rotation. Um, you're probably going to, it's, it's difficult to hold on to that stuff during your prep when you're so specific. It comes at a cost and that cost is usually moving very really. So we, we've got to get that back after. So there's other benefits too. Yep. You yeah. can tell you're looking forward to the time off given you know exactly how many days till your comp, not weeks. Yeah. It, <laughs> well, it's, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. How do you guys find it? Like when I'm coming into a comp, that, that kind of like four weeks out and below, I'm just like, because you start the, like your weaknesses start showing their face and you're just like, like I really want to work on this stuff. Like, so it's exciting to do something different, but then also because you know, like what you need to do to get better. So you almost just want to skip the comp and just start that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Every time. But then when you get to, no, when you get to off season, you're like, fuck, I really want to hit comps. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. The grass is always greener. Yeah. I start counting days out at um, when I do my first, last heavy session so like if i do my last heavy dead 12 days out say that's when in my head i start going oh it's 12 days till comp up until then i'm just thinking you know i got three weeks to go of like this shit before i get to taper because i get sore and tired and grumpy yeah i get i get sore like and tired like three to four weeks out and then my volume drops significantly in my last three weeks i'm not doing a lot for my last three weeks i'm sort of fine at the end oh i'm not like that i think i start to feel good again right as i start doing my last heavy X and Y. 
you know, I feel rubbish and then I hit my last heavy deadlift and things start to actually feel better after that. You yeah. know? Depends how much weight I have to cut as well. Well, that's not a problem for me because I'm too skinny. Um, <laughs> <laughs> my, my last, my last heavy ones, they come in this week and two weeks out. So should I uh, get that? I'm just going to chuck these headphones off and just um, no, use the audio on the phone. So tell me if it goes to crap. Okay. Yeah, should be good. Yeah, go. Oh, it's a disaster, mate. Sorry, Will. <laughs> All right. Will's still with us. We're talking recovery. Um, you mentioned something just then when you were talking about non-specific work, um, which which we'd actually written down as a talking point, and that just... was... Still with us? Um, yeah, One something... Yeah, go, mate. Well, how terrible. There you go. You're good now. Uh, Sorry about that. So something that you've mentioned, um, something that you mentioned in your last response was that when you're not loading your spine, things are slightly less stressful. So is axial loading, so spinal loading, um, an independent contributor to fatigue in your opinion? Uh, I would say so for sure, um, especially as people get jammed into uh, extension and uh, through the three lifts like the three lists themselves kind of bias that. So if you're not doing uh, exercises to balance that, as in like getting some flexion through your spine, um, uh, then yeah, you end up really getting jammed in there and it's just disgusting. And like I said, you end up that person that can't walk down the street without getting a back pump. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. He's absolutely the answer. And something, again, something you said, I thought that was actually really interesting off air was that you weren't entirely certain whether it's the actual like paraspinal fatigue or whether it's the fact that the lifts that tends to put a lot of axial load through are also the big disruptive lifts like squats and deadlifts that causes that to be the case. Yeah, exactly. What's your thinking there? Yeah, exactly. It's just like, well, it's just like my question was like, how can you isolate that? How can you, like, obviously there's like we were talking about with the different things that are going to recover at different rates, but, um, uh, you know, the stuff that loads the spine heavily, uh, the big lifts, which also are going to do a lot of muscular uh, damage and, and tendon and all that other stuff as well. So, I mean, and you're going to use the most weight on those. So they're going to kind of be the most fatiguing stuff anyway. I don't know. I just, just feel people should focus on the stuff that they can control and do the things they control rather than they're worrying about all these little intricacies. And um, yeah, it's, it's such a, it's such a thing where there's just so many questions the body it's just like uh it's the same thing when people talk about like releasing a muscle or activating muscles it's just like what are you actually doing it's just so hard to really even know what you're doing like it's just the body reacts in such different ways that i just don't actually feel people are measuring what they think they're measuring i guess an observation was, alex was, an observation alex and i both purely <laughs> anecdotal um, <laughs> purely anecdotal as in your thoughts on the squat and deadlift I think it was a really good observation because it's true. It is hard to isolate it. Um, but yeah, something Alex and I have both mentioned to each other is we note that our lifters who say deadlift with the most back movement, so who pull round backed or who lose position, also tend to be the ones who handle less deadlift volume well because they have that spinal fatigue. So even a good example would be Alex and myself, where Alex pulls with quite a rounded back and he can't do anywhere near as much deadlift volume or as high of an intensity as me because it just buries him for days and days. 
whereas I tend to maintain position quite well and also seem to handle a decent amount of deadlift volume. Yeah, yeah so it's just efficiency, like we were saying before, and that's why, like I brought up Aaron, is because he's like, he's pretty much standing up by the time he leaves the floor, and so he's he like how much that fatigues him is. Anecdotally, when I've spoken to him, it's just like nothing. Like he's like, okay, I could do three fifty today, and then walk in tomorrow and do three fifty again. It just doesn't hit him. Uh, I've always been able to handle stupid amounts of deadly volume as well. So I'm, um, yeah, I, I I don't believe that. It's just like this is this is the most fatiguing, and that's it. And like you said, it, it's uh, technique based as well. It's efficiency based. Are you actually using the the stuff you should be? Mm. I think... Oh, you go, Max. Max. Okay. I'm, I'm going to bring the next topic. Okay. Um, something Mike Isratel said to me once um, when I went to one of the juggernaut seminars was that he thinks there might be some sort of inhibitory relationship between spinal fatigue and um, performance in peripheral muscles. So mm. the way he put it was basically if you, if you are unable to create stability, um, and this is also one of the reasons bracing is important, if you're unable to create stability around the spine due to fatigue, then your body yeah. will sort of inhibit your ability to create high forces at the legs because you, you know, your body doesn't want you to squat a max if you can't keep your spine stable because your spine is important. And I've, I've never seen anything directly looking at that as a concept, but again, anecdotally it rings quite true to me is when, you know, when my spine, when my core, when my abs are fatigued, that's the times when I just can't lift for shit. You know, I've, I spoke about this with JP. I've missed squats that are less than my 5RM for one when my back's sore because I just can't do it. There's so many, but that's just a technique breakdown thing, really. Like it's like a, uh, Stuart McGill and a bunch of other people have said the same thing and that proximal stability is going to be, you know, like you're going to, if you're not stable here, how is your body meant to, to transfer force and, and, and have something to kind of push off? You know, like when you're benching, if you're, if you're scapular all over the place, if you if you can't hold that, then how are you meant to produce force and put it into the bar? Same with the squat. You know, you need to be stable and uh, and like stiff, rigid through your through your proximal structures, your axial structures to to be able to transfer put force elsewhere on the, on the uh, through your hands or through your feet. Yeah, mm. that's just basically what you're saying. Yeah, really? I guess it is. Yeah, and Alex, any thoughts? No thoughts on that. I'd say that's a technique issue more than a fatigue issue. All right. Well, I'll CC that to Mike Israel. Suck it, Mike. Shout out. What is the podcast? What does he know? <laughs> yeah. Um, Alex. Well, I mean, your specific case, so I'm sure. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure calling Mike. out Mike Israel. No, call no it, fuck it. Call call him out. Out. We, love, we love people calling people I can't out. wait for him to come on the podcast. He will one day. Have you noticed? Every time Mike is for tail, I hope someone sends this to him. Every time he comes on the podcast, he sits back like this. And he puts his chin down. Yeah. And yeah, he's got he his looks, little frog head and he his double chin. Yeah. He looks like Jabba the Hutt. I can't wait for him to do it recording like in goggles one day. So he just looks like this little fucking fat frog man yeah. in goggles. <laughs> when you went to his seminar, was he pretty much the same? Uh, or, no, like, he didn't. I went to I think the one I went to, he was like, like close to a bodybuilding comp or some shit. So he was very relaxed. He's just maximizing like, recovery, bro. He um, <laughs> he trained legs in the was- lunch break at the seminar I went to, and so he wore tights. Um, he wore like little short skins and a black t-shirt for the whole seminar, 
And Chad Wesley Smith just made fun of him for having a small penis um, <laughs> <laughs> pretty much the whole time. Um, but he was just, a, he was a sweaty mess, but no, he was very animated and his body language was good. So Mike, if you're listening, your body language is good in seminars, but it's bad in podcasts and please come on ask. Someone send this to <laughs> All right. Enough, yeah, enough, enough about that. about that next time. Um, when we, I'm sure he'll come on. He'll be on for sure. As soon as he hears this, he'll be like, oh, yeah, I think sure. he actually probably would come on. I reckon he'd come on for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Chat shit with the lads. Mike. Um, <laughs> when, when we when we first spoke about this will we were talking about the idea of the stress bucket so what are some of the things that can go into the stress bucket and how does that affect how much training we can do it's like what are That's, the things uh, outside of training that affect our training yeah so that what the stress bucket or the sink analogy like we went through before is what i was referring to but um as in like uh everything's all your stresses are going to come in and then the recovery is going to be drained by them and, and take things out. And if you, if you're overflowed, you're going to be overtrained or overreached or depending on how you define those. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, as for what comes in, obviously the one that we want to go in is, is training and the one that we can control the best. Uh, we want to be the variable that we change as a powerlifter that we manipulate. Uh, but then it's yeah it's going to have other it's going to have other things coming too so the big ones is like just life stress whether it's relationships emotional stuff coming in like i know people that are just constantly uh on edge all day worried about how their business is going or how how uh you know their relationships breaking down stuff like that that's going to have such a huge uh impact i think and and just kind of i just think that chilling chilling out and just relaxing is just so underrated in terms of recovery for that reason. It just, right. it's just something that you're not so on edge. And, um, uh, I mean, other people refer to it as a different thing. Like, uh, I was listening to a podcast recently with Luke Lehman, um, which you may or may not know him from muscle nerds, but he was talking about how he does like his least mode thing. And it's basically after a comp getting back to health, getting all that stress out and just recovering, uh, the best as in, yeah, just, just chilling out. I think that's what it goes back to is just learning to just relax about things. So that, that's the other big one that goes in. Um, and then obviously if you're, if you're screwing up your food and all that kind of stuff, all that, all that stress is going to be piled up on top of it as well. But hopefully, hopefully after our seminar anyway, you'll, uh, you'll be able to handle that. Um, so my, that's why I think things like people talk shit on like, especially balances, would talk shit on like things like meditation or, or you know yoga or something like that but those things that's what that's what i feel like what their benefit is is just because you can go in relax you know maybe do a bit of stretching whatever you want to do and just just chill like let the the heart rate drop down stop thinking about things that's that's where i think that is the, those are their most beneficial um and i use the i use the breathing drills instead so the the postural stuff instead that you would have heard a bunch of with jamie's but um things like the 99 breathing and variations of it that are more suited to me, but I'll use them to just try and like just focus on my breathing and then relax, try and calm down. Yeah. What about something like step count, step counting and stuff like that? Is that something that you'll track? Uh, we can, yeah, but that's more of a nutritional thing. That's more measuring output for us. Um, we don't use it as like a stress, uh, input or output. Um, 
yeah, if you're, if you're a physical worker, a laborer or something, and you're doing, uh, you know, 50,000 steps a day, as well as chucking around concrete, then yeah, I'm going to take that into consideration. But for somebody like me, who's doing this, um, it's more about getting the minimum and, uh, it is, it's more, yeah, it's, it's not, it's definitely not a stress input for me or for most people that I train. Yeah. Um, how much do how much do you think people's disposition affects sort of um, how much extra life stress they accrue? Um, so as an example, Lyle McDonald um, recently in a discussion was, was saying in his experience, there's lots of those people who are very kind of type A who will, you know, who want to work themselves into the ground to achieve a goal. So, you know, when they diet, they want to diet really hard when they train, they want to train seven days yeah, a week for an hour. Yeah. When yeah. it might actually serve them best because they're high stress people to take a more moderate approach. Um, do you think that happens to be the case that certain people are just wired to be stressors? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you all know one. Yeah. But, um, it's yeah for those people they're the people that i'll we lost sorry somebody somebody, yeah somebody called me um yeah those are the people that i'll push into things like uh like those other things the meditation or yoga or or float tanks or whatever your jam is to calm down uh i'll tell them to uh get off their phones go for a walk think like don't have that constant notifications coming up, stressing out your life, always thinking about other people or other things. Like, yeah, they're, they're the people that I'll really try and just say, like actually set protocols in mind to, to, to de-stress, to chill, to relax. Whereas uh, for me, it's quite, it's quite easy. I mean, I work from home. <laughs> how how, how would wanna, you... Ad- when I want to relax, I do. How would you um, identify someone like this? Like, how would you, how would you know who these people are? Uh, yeah, I mean, through just experience, you just meet them and they're just kind of up and they're in your face and they're just like, just won't stop speaking. And it's just, you can tell that like they're worried about 50 different things that's happening right now. I, I mean, I'd love to have like a specific little like measurement, like data that I can actually track about that person. But usually I just, I mean, talking to somebody makes it pretty obvious for me. Do you have any no, tellers was, that you can uh, tell me? No, you can sort of tell if someone. for me, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, like I said, everybody knows one. Like, you can just think of it like a person right now. You're just like that dude. Just is a fucking chill. <laughs> like, hundred percent. Yeah, it's, it's true. And it's you know they're also the people that take um, you know, three scoops of pre-workout for their sessions and that uh, you know, sniffing ammonia for their curls and stuff <laughs> like that. But they're also those people that just need to be fucking up to the roof every second of their day um i have a question for you it also it affects you negatively yep um the question was does that actually change how you structure their training so other than just saying relax away from training do you also give them less volume or less intensity or not uh it's just going to be a measure like we were talking about before you'll just i'll start them as to where i think and then as as they, as I get more data on them as to their recovery and they answer the questions over time, we start to see trends. Um, and, but yeah, they typically do end up being able to handle less work. Uh, and that stress and always being stressed also affects their lifting as well. 
like they'll move worse. They'll always be really extended um, and we'll have to like really work to get them hamstrings and abs and actually feel those things. Uh, they're just always so necky as well. They're always like yeah, up and crunching in front of you, neck for everything. Um, so trying to coach them into a more parasympathetic kind of position and do a flex position and breathe um, uh, is, is difficult, but you know, we try it, we try, really try and push that. Um, why is it that you see these people in extended postures? You know, what, and yeah, what is it about a flex posture that's good? It's just more about, well, uh, I don't know how if you're familiar with the, uh, with the term, I'm sure Jamie would use it a couple of terms, times last year, but PRI call it a zone of that position, as in the position of your ribcage to your pelvis uh, or your diaphragm, your respiratory diaphragm to your pelvic floor. And then they're going to be the, the what you use to uh, create that cylinder of pressure that you were talking about before when it comes to bracing, but they're also just going to be, um, it's also just going to put your abs, your things like your obliques in a position to work uh, and into that anterior tilt or extension throughout the body and, and just affect things like that. As to why stress does it, I mean, it's just how we are as human. That's our, that's our position. If you feel like, like if the easiest way to explain it is like if I, uh, if you were walking down the street and then something attacked you or whatever, like the first thing that you do is you're like, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah you go into that really extended position, your body gets stressed. That's a, that's a, that's a position where your body is stable and it, and it can kind of shut off a few other of the systems and you can run away and hopefully it's a survival thing. Um, so yeah, we use those people end up losing flexion and then we will get them into flexion. So as in like the flexion of the hip, get them to reach, uh, and get those mechanics as to their, their zone of opposition back to where they should be. So not only is it a big thing for, um, controlling your recovery and but I, think, I feel like it's really important to when it comes to uh, lifting technique uh, and I guess your ability to be strong as well. So for someone who would exhibit these signs of someone who stresses a lot or is extended, that kind of thing, would this be the kind of person you would give like a breathing drill to at the beginning of a session to kind of get them to calm down and sort of get into that sort of parallel I relationship? But yeah, I give them to everybody because uh, – I think there's something that like that we miss as powerlifters anyway. Like uh, hip flexion isn't exactly our thing that we train. Uh, our lifts and the three big lifts encourage that extended position anyway. Uh, so I'll give them to the people regardless. But um, yeah, definitely I'll be getting these people to do it more frequently. So like daily, kind of morning when they wake up and before they go to bed to calm down, things like that. Um, Frequency is really the key with those drills because I mean, then it's not like it's not like they're loadable. You can't progressively overload that. You know, like frequency is the key because they're low load. They're just uh, isometrics, really. Yeah. All right. So the um, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it makes perfect sense to me. Um, do you have anything to add? Um, you've mentioned you've mentioned sort of sleep and nutrition as the two major recovery modalities, and then a few others. Um, what are the what are the most effective ones in general for people to focus on? Where should they put their time? In re, in, uh, in regards to nutrition and sleep. No, in regards to everything. Are nutrition and sleep as important as foam rolling? They're <laughs> so they're going to be they they are definitely going to 
I won't get it. I won't go too hard on foam rolling. But um, yes, yeah, sleep is going to be, I think, the the king. Um, the problem with it is everybody knows, like, as soon as you start talking about sleep, everybody's like, yeah, 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 eight hours, we get it, cool. Um, but I just don't feel that people understand how important it is and how how it affects your body in such a positive way. Um, like, we really go deep into this on the seminars. So it's as to, like, exactly what we what it does. Um, but it, it's like a short story is it, it just affects everything in your body, how you move. And... Uh, how you recover on a major level so yeah getting enough good quality sleep is going to be number one in my opinion and then nutrition is probably going to be a close second to that uh, as, uh and then there's the million things you can go down with that there's calories macros micros etc etc that's that's dean's domain and he'll be diving into that but um as far as like those are your two big daddies and then as far as other stuff that comes on that you know you're talking about um the third one is obviously the other one that I've been talking about, which is stress or um, just relaxing. I think that comes in number three for me, for people. And then uh, active recovery, um, massage, those other techniques are going to be a distant, distant uh, recovery that may help beyond those. But like those big boxes are the ones that you're going to want to tick. Like I, I don't know about you guys, but I find that, Everybody wants to do foam rolling or massage or whatever, or ice bars or whatever, all this stuff, but then they don't even have their sleep and nutrition sorted. So I, I usually don't even get to the point where I'm worried about that for people because there's bigger things to worry about. Um, would, I you, actually, would you agree there? Yeah, yeah 100%. The amount of clients that I have that tell me they're always sore and stuff and ask whether they should yeah, start foam rolling or take some magnesium and things. And then when I say, how much do you sleep? They say like, five hours and my phone's next to me the whole time and you know i just have shitty sleep yeah. hygiene it's unbelievable in fact i think and i eat, and I eat like crap that's what yeah. i mean it's like do you do you just if you're worrying about that um uh, either yeah either your nutrition's not as good probably your nutrition's not as good as it could be your sleep's not as good as it could be like you really need to sort those out before you start looking down those other avenues because it's just uh they're like tiny Point one percenters. It's like um, it's maybe the end of a prep. It's like it's like the people who try and prioritize supplements before they have the calories and macros in order. It's that kind of thing, it's that kind of priority. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So a little yeah. icing on the cake. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or training, like overthinking the exact like little accessory that they're going to use for their biceps, mm. and, and not getting the their squats mm. and uh, the volume in there. Mm. You know, like the it's, it's the same person that does all this shit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when we talk about sleep, I, like I've seen evidence for during a fat loss phase, the people who sleep more, losing more fat, retaining more muscle, you know, same thing with Definitely. training. I've yeah. seen, I've seen research where the people yeah. who sleep better gain more muscle, whatever it happens to be. Um, yeah. What actually break that down. in the seminar that, yeah, Big I time. think that'd be terrific. But what types of things, when we talk about good sleep, what types of things should we be thinking about? You know, duration, sleep hygiene, stuff like that. What, you know, what are you looking for? Most people are going to recommend again, that, that eight, uh, I, I always say like seven to nine hours. Um, pretty much the, the more you can get, uh, the better for most people. I, I, I 
I don't think I've ever met a person who's just like getting so much sleep that is detrimental. Mm. <laughs> like I'll, 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 I'll envy that person. <laughs> Alex is seriously yeah, a ground sloth. Yeah. <laughs> if, if it affects your ability to live your life and train and stuff, maybe I guess. <laughs> um, <laughs> Alex sometimes misses training because he overslept all day. Not for years. That's yeah. not true. Yeah, maybe, but maybe maybe needed more recovery. Yeah, <laughs> maybe that's fine from your body. Yeah, I needed 20 um, hours. <laughs> as far as sleep hygiene goes, uh, I think the big ones for most people are like having a consistent time frame of sleep, like having waking up at the same time, going to bed at the same time as, yeah, as possible. Um, and then just not having uh, like lights around you would be the other big one as in like not having your phone here next to your face as you're trying to sleep or, or having lights on elsewhere. Like it's just, it sounds simple because it is, there's no real like deep dark secrets to it. Um, but the simple fact is that people still don't do it. So we need to keep hammering this stuff, but they're, they're the two big ones. We could go on a bunch of other little stuff that if you, if you're getting them right, you're ahead of nearly everyone. Um, so you said that more sleep is basically better until it's not better anymore. What about nutrition? I'm just, I've never met that person. Well, hey. yeah, me either, to be honest. But what about nutrition? Um, we, like we say nutrition facilitates recovery, but at what point is, say, a calorie surplus not actually helping anymore? Like, have you ever met that person, the person who just dreamer bulks and you're like, you could probably get by with Definitely. less? Who hasn't? I mean, like, yeah, generally I find that the thinking is like, um, you know, food is energy and, and the more food I eat, the more energy I'm going to have and the, and the more energy I have means uh, I can go harder in the gym or something like that. But that seems to be what their thought process is around it when I talk to these people. But yeah, it just doesn't work that way. Um, training doesn't burn uh, as many calories as what people think it does. Um, and again, this is this is an area where it's going to take meticulous like data tracking to really get the best things out of it. So like if you use a calculator for me to predict what I need, it's completely wrong. Um, I need, I'm just the person that uh, eats way more calories and uh, is skewed a little bit different off the charts as to the most of the population anyway. Um, and I don't even move that much, which is kind of annoying because like, uh, like for example, when I tried to go up to the 125s this, this year, it was just like, trying to eat like 7,000 calories a day is not fun. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it totally, uh, it, it isn't, it certainly isn't a case of more is better. It just doesn't, doesn't make sense at all. Get your, get your required um, micros in and, and get your required macros in and uh, be in an energy balance that's going to uh, grow muscle whilst not getting overly obese because we both know that's not healthy. It's not I helping think anyone. Um, Lyle McDonald wrote a really good, I don't know if it was one article or more than one, but it was an article um, called muscle gain math. Um, you can tell he's American. He write it's muscle gain math and it talks about how much energy is actually required to synthesize, you know, a pound or a kilo or whatever it happens to be of muscle tissue. Yeah. And it yeah, don't about, need to be in a big surplus at all. No, it's really quite tiny. Yeah. Um, yeah, it doesn't need to be a huge surplus. He also factors in a little bit of stuff about training and recovering things in general. But the way I tend to envisage it when I talk to clients about it is that when you're cutting, the lack of energy is a detriment to your recovery. Being at maintenance puts you at about baseline and a small surplus 
gives you a little boost, but it seems to be past that sort of 250 to 300 calorie surplus for most people. The extra calories don't really do a whole lot to help your help your training and recovery unless it sort of gives you some form of psychological relaxation. I just can't see a rationale for it. Leverages, bro. Yeah, leverages yeah. for sure. <laughs> yeah, get that gut to bounce off in the squat. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, yeah, you're right. Uh, the problem is if you try and go like the smallest um, surplus uh, possible, then you end up like just not being in a surplus because either you'll get heavier or your daily activity will change or something like that. You just leave no room. So usually we go a little bit, maybe a little bit past that, um, that and, and just like put people in a slightly bigger surplus so that, and there's a mental thing as well, because they can see the scales going up or maybe they look a little bit bigger and it makes them feel good. Um, but yeah, so generally we won't go like, we won't aim for the tiniest uh, possible surplus and we'll just, be at that what you said like 250 500 heaps yeah any more than that you're just getting fatter and then yeah <laughs> fat is not helping do you guys remember when one of like to believe one of um ray's recent comps ray williams yeah he got so big like he was actually so big and heavy that he couldn't get the depth on his squats you remember that no. and then he only got one out of three squats really yeah right. he got reds for his opener in his third yeah. so he was just too big yeah. that's mad <laughs> Did you see he's, uh, there was a study with him on the DEXA? Oh, yeah. yeah. I think it was DEXA. Yeah, we spoke, uh, we spoke about that with um, Greg Knuckles. Yeah, we did. Yeah, his crazy oh. lean mass and stuff, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was really interesting. You should listen to that episode with Greg Knuckles, everyone out there. I will. <laughs> I think that's one of I our most well. listened to episodes. It's a good one. Yeah, it is a good one. Yeah, Greg and I made good friends. We're both losers. <laughs> Lift, lifting your <laughs> <laughs> Not what I expected that to be. <laughs> no, he's he's a good bloke. I liked him a lot. Um, fuck, that's mad. Imagine being too fat to squat to depth. I got to <laughs> give a shout out to one of our listeners, Mitch Ronan, who <laughs> he's competed at lived a few times. And ever since he heard that I used to be fat, he's messaged me on Instagram probably once or twice a week to tell me to get fat again. So from earlier today, um, where is where is he? Oh, Mitch Ronan, here we go. Earlier today, I posted my lunch and he responds, here he comes. On the 15th of February, I posted myself <laughs> in a cafe. He says, come on the fat burke. On the 25th of January, I posted a brownie. He said, fat burke soon. On the 22nd of January, he responded to my story, bring back fat burke. <laughs> so he's been going on and on and on. You've just <laughs> he's really opened this up chaser. as well because now people know this. <laughs> now that people know this you're just going to get a flood of these messages so oh mate any attention's good attention that's what I say um, no such thing as bad <laughs> yeah anyway shout out Mitch Ronan Fat so Burke not coming back but maybe Fat Will Crozier will <laughs> not coming back so he's responded to Alex twice in the past two weeks as stories of me he says to one where I'm in the picture he says skinny and then on oh god literally on the same day he responds to another one of me saying wish he was fatter <laughs> so Mitch Ronan <laughs> shout out <laughs> that's, a, that's a bit of dedication I like that yeah no he's he's a real chubby chaser um all right <laughs> um the, the next question we had written down for you was who should be focusing most on recovery 
and recovery modalities. So there are certain populations or, you know, certain times of a comp, like a comp prep or something when you need it most. Mm. I mean, it could be argued that uh, everybody, right? I mean, having maximum recovery year round is definitely uh, not a bad thing. And, uh, but we, we could almost say that um, it gets obsessive at that point. And if you're, if you're hitting the exact macros that you need to and, and, you know, doing all this crazy shit year round that you're probably going to burn yourself down as well. So, I mean, you need to obviously find a personal balance with that. But yeah, coming into a comp when, uh, when we, uh, as coaches, really um, going to need strict variables so that we can manipulate training in the best way possible. I think it's, it's something that I really, I really push on my people to get consistent because like, it just makes my job so much easier to get them better. Like I'm just guessing otherwise as to like what's working, what's not working. Um, obviously usually making weight is an issue there as well. So it kind of, they go hand in hand, which helps. Mm. Uh, I just, I really think we should bring up though with this point is that coming into a comp, like I'm not here sprouting that everybody should feel good all the time either. Like nobody's walking around going like, yeah, I feel great at four weeks out, like I just feel like so good and I'm recovering the best, like this is the best. Like it's just, it, it's, that's not gonna happen and if it is happening, you're probably doing it wrong. Um, like if you're trying to push it to the point of just feeling fresh all the time and constantly, especially in a comp prep, you're missing like the big picture. Like it's okay to feel like a little bit beat up or it's okay to feel a little bit um, like you trained hard, right? Um, it's, I'm not saying that you should feel hundred percent all the time now. Yeah. And then to go another direction with that, there's people that get, uh, over, overthink it and don't train hard enough. So again, you need to earn the right to kind of recovery, focus on recovery a lot. Everyone should be, I'm saying everyone should eat right and, uh, sleep well, but yeah, don't miss out on training hard too. I'm, okay, I'm sure that you're with your, with your listeners. You should be right. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. You mentioned um, mental burnout from being meticulous about sleep and macros and all that kind of stuff. Um, is there any t- like what time frame of competition cycle would you recommend someone relaxes a little bit with that kind of stuff? Like, when is it okay to sort of not have the foot on the on the pedal all the time with regards to recovery? Especially straight after a comp. Yeah. Um, I mean, just comps in general are so freaking draining mentally as well as physically. Um, like I said to you, we said right at the start, it's like you almost just want to get into off season straight away. It's just like so draining this these last month mentally as well. Um, yeah, but it's yeah. So straight after a comp, off season, I usually we usually let our guys get a little bit more lax um, with nutrition, especially like as in. We're not going to let you get super fat or, super, or or lose muscle, but we're going to be like, okay, like if as long as we hit this ballpark ratio of calories, uh, protein, carbs, fat, whatever, like we're pretty happy with that. As long as you're not eating like a fucking idiot, you'll be sweet. Um, and if you want to go out and have burgers with your friends, like go for it, have fun. But because um, it's also just going to help with the stress as well. Like I just, I, I don't know, it's it's almost a personal experience thing for me because when I did. Uh, my short lips skin to bodybuilding back in the day, I tracked my macros to the absolute dot year round, like every single day of the year for like two years. And it just 
killed me to the point where I just can't really do it anymore. That's why I just get deans right my diets now. But um, so yeah, I, I, I just don't think it creates a good mindset for anybody. Nor is it probably a hundred percent productive. Yeah, cool. Um, why don't we take a very quick break? And then we'll come back and hit you with a few quick fire questions. Just get the down and dirty on some recovery modalities and get the, yeah, the questions I got from Instagram. Um, to and the, well. and yeah, the all the good ones. Really good ones. Oh, and the four questions. Yeah, they were really good. <laughs> all right. We'll be back in one moment. Weekly Weights. So we're back on Weekly Weights. It's episode 45. We're joined by Will Crozier. And we've got another couple of questions before we let him off the hook. Um, we just wanted to get the down and dirty on a few popular recovery modalities from you. So in as brief as you like, what do you think of cryotherapy and cold showers? Just yes, no. Yes, no, straight up. Um, I don't like them. <laughs> I don't think they're near. I don't think they're near. <laughs> you just said it's quick. Yeah. Um, I don't think they're near as effective what people think they are. Uh, they there's studies to back that up. The, the research behind them isn't very good. Um, I feel like it's just more of a like shock. To, it's almost like, like, a, like if you put a heat cream on you, like it's like, it's almost distracting to the pain. Like you forget about the pain, but I, I feel like it doesn't really do next to anything. Like in the, in the, in the one I saw the placebo group um, responded just as well. And I yeah. assume, assume you feel the same way about sauna and heat therapy. Yeah, the, the benefits of these things, I, I don't think, are recovery. I think it's just you chilling out. I think I actually saw some research at one stage where, where heat exposure actually reduced the adaptive response to resistance training. So it was like immediately post-exercise going in the sauna reduced muscle growth. I wouldn't that want to be, be excited on that. a lot of these things. Really? Yeah, that, that, that could be said for a lot of this stuff. So if we talk about anything that acutely like uh, removes... Uh, that inflammatory response from the body is good potentially. So we're talking like there's, there's lots of different things to do this, but the most obvious ones like um, anti-inflammatory pills or whatever. Like if you go and train and then you take these to counter the soreness and the inflammatory response, you're also kind of in a way stopping the adaptive process that your body has to go through. So that, I think that's, it's the same sort of the exact same idea that you're going through as far as like uh, the cryotherapy cold, colder ice bars whatever you want to call it like all this stuff I, I feel like that's that's probably why it's probably the same reason i haven't looked too far into it but i would assume the same thing shout out matt tinson who asked that question about nsaids so nsaids post training high doses not good is that what you're saying no nah, plus it is not healthy i mean like yeah. it's like yeah, your liver your liver values are like going to go up not that um i think you not that i hope they're not taking that much but um I'll use them at the end of a prep uh, if I need it because by that stage, I'm not really looking for adaptions. I'm just looking for to peak, to, you know, to remove uh, recovery and to have my best training sessions. I don't care about growing. I don't care about getting stronger at that point. Um, so I'll use them to feel better at that, at that stage. And that's the same about the, some of these other things, the massage, ART, dry needling, this sort of stuff. It's more of a, I, I'll hardly get it in off season. Um, because I can, I can be timely with it. I can, fi I can figure out why it's happening and, and deal with it in a smart, actual fixed way instead of using a, one of these to kind of manage it. 
and I, I feel like that's all they're doing. Makes sense. Um, what about I wrote bath salts? Is that that's yeah, Epsom salts. Yeah, Epsom. But when people say they take bath salts and they like go eat people's faces, what are they talking about? Same thing. I don't understand your reference at all. Hmm? I don't understand the reference. Okay, well, <laughs> well, I'm talking about those salt baths, right? That people have some Epsom weird junky thing. Yeah, yeah Epsom. Epsom. Now I'm going to look up the weird junky eating people's faces thing. Yeah, go on. Um, talk about the one we're actually talking about. Yeah, the bath salts. You mean just Epsom salts? Yeah, Epsom. Yeah, again, yeah. I don't think. I don't think gigantic are benefit to those as well. Uh, from what I've seen, uh, again, I think the 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 benefit is more just relaxing. Yeah. So here we go from Wikipedia. Bath salts, yeah. also psychoactive bath salts, PABs, or oh. in the UK, monkey dust, is a group of recreational designer drugs. The name derives from instances in which the drugs were disguised as bath salts. The white powder, granules, or crystals often resemble bath salts, such as Epsom salts, but differ chemically. <laughs> um, the packaging often states not for human consumption, um, blah, 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 blah. And then, yeah, these are the yeah. ones where people apparently end up like, yeah, eating their neighbor's face and stuff like that, which is cool. Um, yeah, yeah, now, now you say monkey dust, yeah, I see it all the time. Okay, yeah, so no. don't take monkey dust after <laughs> exercise either. <laughs> Will not help, uh, Will not help recovery as far as <coughs> as far as I'm aware. Okay, what about foam rolling? Um, foam rolling or anything similar, I feel, is useful in some circumstances, but probably not as much as what people think it is. Like you're not releasing things, you're not changing tissue structure, you're not doing anything like that. You're not releasing things, um, but if it helps like inhibit something or makes you feel good before a session, I say, go for it. Uh, I just, I just think it, again, it's, it's more of a, like a management thing It's certainly not going to fix your issue. Same as the dry needling ART, like massages type stuff. I feel like unless you have a good therapist who really knows what they're doing and can um, also, you know, work out why it's happening at the root cause and go back and fix that. Um, but just releasing things is a, it's just a, it's a pointless task. Right. Like um, it's, it's tight for it's tight for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. True. Um, okay. The one last one we had written down was flotation therapy. Do you know any evidence about that? Uh, not that not that I bothered to look into too deeply because again, like I mentioned it a couple of things, the flotation tanks thing, or just like the sensory deprivation stuff. Mm. Um, uh, anecdotally, I've had people friends do it some people have just like kind of laid in there and just like got super bored and then thought that oh this is stupid i'm just bored and i really just want to get out and then other people have been able to completely relax um and you know like just feel their whatever they they claim to be you know like feel like super deep relaxation and you're floating or whatever um but same thing as before i, I feel like relaxing and just chilling out without any uh distractions is the like you i feel like going having a nap would probably do similar things cool we could all right the four questions do we take a break we just had one did we want to do any mickey's gonna jump on with these mickey's gonna help us out so we put up a poll of, uh we put up a questions thing asking for questions and none of them were any good so thanks for telling oh, us guys yeah i was just told to shut up and piss off by like 10 of my friends um, and then Shero came in and trolled about his inferior podcast, Peak Speak, 
which you can listen to if you if you're interested. <laughs> um, but no, we haven't. <laughs> we've dealt if with all the. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I haven't done it yet. So and I, you know, like, uh, it's you're kind of a big deal. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, <laughs> exactly. yeah you know, like, we uh, get all the good guests first. I I only go on the good ones. Yeah, well, they haven't even invited us on their podcast yet, so fuck them. That's what I say. Fucking yeah. assholes. They're dogs. <laughs> All right. Dogs. <laughs> tell them. Okay, so the four questions that tell us everything we need to know about a person. Alex asked questions one and two. Yeah, so the first question is, if you could take one person... Well, we have Mickey on. Mickey's going to help me out with this. All right, if you could, if, uh, if Will could take one person out to dinner, dead or alive, who would Will take? Will Crozier. <laughs> I think Will would probably absolutely love to go out with Pat Davidson. Pat <laughs> who? <laughs> my biomechanics guy. If he could, if he could go on a dinner date with anyone right now, I reckon he'd do Pat. And talking training. Yeah, yeah, yeah well, I, well, that's I, all you ever talk about. Yeah, true. No. Oh <laughs> <laughs> yeah. snap! No, he's like he's he's one of my favorite uh, biomechanics guys out there, and I love his work. I What's his name? He, he would get annoyed and leave because I think that like, I would just ask too many questions. But what, what's his I name? I don't Pat Davidson. Pat Davidson. Davidson. Okay. One, of the, one of the guys we'll be seeing over in uh, the US when we go. Oh, cool. cool. All right, so question two. Who is Will's favourite athlete of all time? Um, I'm probably going gonna, gonna to keep this specific to powerlifting because, I don't know, he has a few, like, favorite lifters but i think like you can't go past yuri belkin mm. um i think the way that he conducts himself on the platform and like obviously we've never been around him on the comp day but the way he conducts himself will i think really looks up to that yeah i really have really thing about people like how they act like i just hate those lifters that are just like fucking yelling and screaming and i'm like you got a pb like it's like whatever i don't know like it's a different thing for me like i i yeah, when it comes to powerlifting, that's definitely the thing that I look for in people more so than like their attitude. Like uh, lifting's cool, but whatever. Very cool. And then uh, as far as the outside of powerlifting, uh, yeah, I don't really do a huge amount of sport following. Like I'll watch everything. I'll watch the tennis and I love watching like Federer play and all that stuff like that, but I don't follow the year round. I just, say with footy and stuff like that, I won't watch every game. Just a casual supporter. A, a casual lover of high level performance like i don't really <laughs> there's no athlete that jumps mind but i just love i'm just like fuck this dude moves so well like like i said with like federer or whatever i'm just like fuck like such a good athlete like that's what i admire like it's like yeah i don't know it's yeah not, not so much the person i feel that yeah i can get that too all right question three which movie or television character do you most look like well, we've talked about this on your break, and he doesn't, that's why he's asked me to say it, because he doesn't want to say it himself, he doesn't believe it, mm. but we were talking about Thanos from Guardians of the Galaxy, and obviously the Avengers, so if you don't know who it is, I'll actually... We'll There's only to... one person in the world who doesn't know who it is, and that's, that's Alex. <laughs> yeah. Alex hasn't watched the Avengers or Guardians of the Galaxy? Or Lord of the Rings. We what can't are you be doing friends. with your time? Or the Matrix. <laughs> we can't be friends. What the hell? Yeah, what the fuck? Nah, we have a similar neck, I guess. <laughs> As in only traps for a neck. Traps <laughs> yeah. and a big, like, big head. That's, I mean, Will has hair. Thanos doesn't have hair, so that's a trade-off. Yeah, fuck but... you, I'd smash him on that. 
you got him yeah. covered easily. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's mad. All right. The last question, the hardest one. If your life was going to be made into a montage, um, what music would you set it to? Um, I don't know. Like, Will has a big thing, and obviously maybe this is just because of the movie that's been released this year, but he loves Queen. Can't go wrong with a bit of Queen. So yeah. I was having a bit of a think about some Queen songs, and I thought, like, Don't Stop Me Now from Queen. Yeah, that's a great... <laughs> I like that. That's a song. That's a good song. Well, that like, was decided to be the <laughs> bicycle. Um, Don't Stop Me Now was decided to be the best feel-good song of all time. And um, when I say that, I think some people actually tried to, like they wrote a paper about what, what makes a feel-good song. And the song that they, I read this in the newspaper somewhere, it was crazy. The song they said like encapsulated it best. They said it was the best feel-good song of all time was Don't Stop Me Now. Well, it kind of tells you, like the whole lyrics are, I'm going to have a good time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like, every Kesha song is like, I'm going to have a good time, and it's still not as good as that one. So, you know. Yeah, true. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, but I guess no one parties. I have there. a really wide variety of music, so I had no idea what she was going to ask. So if it wasn't Queen, what would it be? I think it would be, like, metal. Um, uh Dream Theater, Pantera, something, something like that, like uh, some heavy upbeat. That's that's kind of where I actually love listening to that stuff. But I will enjoy it. Very long Petucci guitar solo. Yeah. Exactly. In, yeah. in the gym, that's the, or on the way to the gym. But then when he's at home, it's like Billy Joel. Um... I said it, it'll be like whatever. <laughs> I'm, I'm cool for all of it. You could do Uptown Girl. Yeah, he loves some Uptown mm. Girl. He love it. Ah, not really. <laughs> <laughs> don't be embarrassed, bro. Don't be embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> Not embarrassment. They're good songs. Love it. I just don't think it's exactly or the montage I'm, I'm picturing. It's not quite metal enough. That's what you're getting at, isn't it? I mean, that in the background of like heavy metal stuff. Cover. <laughs> yeah, it could work. Um, <laughs> Pantera cover yeah. of Billy Joel. That'd be awesome. Let's write to Pantera. Get him on the show. Um, okay. Um, Will, thanks so. <laughs> thanks so much for joining us man um where can we find you or where can people find you on the internet where can they buy tickets to your seminars um you know yeah give us everything yeah uh nexusperformance.com.au is where all of our information about what we do um who we are our coaching uh blogs the seminar tickets all that stuff's on there um and then on instagram it's going to be nexus performance australia uh, and myself is WCROZWCROZ. Uh, and yeah, they're going to be the main places that I post about training in particular, really. And if you want to watch Will Lift, 16th of March, will there be a live stream? Yeah, it's going to be live stream. Uh, I'm not sure exactly who's running the live streams this year, but um, it's always a really, really good, like high level TV level production that yep. they put on. So yeah, the Arnold's website will post that. And, uh, but, you know, we'll be posting a lot of stuff as well. So if you follow me, you'll see see a lot. We've got a photographer lined up to come and take pictures and videos and stuff. So it's, oh, yeah, we man. should get some good stuff. Good uh, luck. Yeah, good, good luck, luck um, from Weekly Weights and all of our listeners. That's all three of them. Yeah, mum says hi. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us, man. Um, this has been Weekly Weights. I'm Will. I'm Alex. Catch you guys next week. <laughs>